All right, we are rolling. Hey, everybody, all two people who are watching this or listening to this. <laughs> uh, I'm Tom, and I'm here with Henry, and we are going to dive into the ever topical since approximately 1962 James Bond franchise. And Henry, I'm going to kick it off with a simple question to you based on the title of our podcast. Are you cynical about Bond? So... It's not so much the franchise itself that I'm cynical about, but rather the way, I guess you could say, the hardcore fan base, in air quotes, has been reacting to it over the years. And I know that James Bond as a franchise doesn't have as rabid of a fan base as, say, something like Rick and Morty or Star Wars or any of those. But it does seem interesting that a lot of them just can't seem to figure out what they want out of bond and are constantly in this back and forth about it that never seems to end over the years now i know you have said uh in the past when we've talked in private that you actually don't really pay attention to the fun the sorry the bond fan base whatever little of it there is that you just kind of like keep bond in your own little corner and enjoy it on your own and don't like to let other people's opinions of it dictate your own enjoyment of it which is a really good and healthy thing. And I think you should honestly keep it that way. But me <laughs> being who I am, I'm just, I'm always on Reddit. I'm always on different subreddits and different forms of things, reading what people have to say about pretty much everything, especially like in the realm of pop culture. And Bond is certainly no exception to that. And every franchise, once it lasts for as long as this one certainly has, it is going to have, you know, different groups of fans that all want different things. But I think what's especially unique about Bond is that people can't seem to define what the source of it is. Because at least with every other franchise, you kind of like have this definition of like, okay, with Star Wars, we all know it started with that one movie in 1977. I know there was a novelization tie-in that accidentally came out six months ahead, but it started as a movie. And the novelization was just kind of meant to be a tie-in to that. And so Mm -hmm. at least everybody can unanimously agree that like, okay, it did all start as that one movie Everything else is just kind of an expansion off of that. But with Bond, it's tricky because, yes, you do have the books that Ian Fleming wrote, but the books themselves didn't really turn James Bond into like this pop culture global phenomenon. It was the movies that did that 10 years later, starting with Dr. No, because even though Casino Royale was the first book written, it wasn't the first one adapted due to... I guess like confusing rights issues at the time or something wonky like that. They started with Dr. No. Yeah. I actually, I'm not too familiar with the history behind that, but when you look at it that way, if you define the books as, you know, the nucleus of the franchise, particularly the book Casino Royale, you get a very specific tone with that book. Now I actually have not read that book to be honest with you, but I have watched analysis videos of it and stuff like that. And I've listened to what people say about the novel and like how they interpreted bond when they first read it, not, you know, factoring in the movies and everything else that came from it since. And it definitely had a very grounded and serious tone to it as a book. Uh, Very simple. Not much happens in it. There's really only three sections. It's just, uh, the card game with Le Chiffre, the if that's even how you pronounce it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then the, the torture scene. And yes, the, the ball smashing that that's in the book that that was there. <laughs> and yep. um, uh, and then Vesper's betrayal and suicide. Oh, and apologies for spoilers for a movie that's 15 years old. I guess it's it's understood that we're basically going to go full on spoilers with everything Bond here. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, there's I don't know if there's really much of a point in talking about things without spoiling them because 
spoilers are really important to analyzing things, but go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, if it happens, it happens. But right. um, uh, so, yeah, very grounded, very simple. Now, one key difference, I would say, between from what I understand about the book uh, versus the movie, the 2006 film, is that Daniel Craig definitely plays Bond in a very, I guess, sadistic kind of way. A lot of people mm. have sort of it's a little bit hyperbolic but a lot of people have called him the emo bond for that very reason <laughs> oh i hear that a lot <laughs> oh no no i've i've heard it too it's just it's always funny when i hear it yeah no it is true <laughs> goth bond imagine if that that's the next incarnation of bond he's all goth <laughs> <laughs> right and um uh the book itself it doesn't seem to go quite that far there is still like it does seem there's a part of bond in that original novel that still like loves being james bond despite all the bad shit that happens to him in it and so i guess in a weird sort of way of all the different movie incarnations that have resulted since then the one that does seem to be closest to the book is dalton weirdly enough yeah absolutely i mean i i think um i think i i kind of get what you're going for here is that you're attributing the confusion in the fan base that you see which again as Henry pointed out, I have I'm not plugged into any of this stuff, so I'm mm. I'm going by what he says. But you're attributing the confusion that they have, or like the maybe like the anger or whatever that they have towards yeah. it, towards the franchise not really having a concrete origin because exactly it, it technically began one way, but really what popularized it was something totally different. One hundred percent. Yep, that's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah, and that is that is an interesting uh, point. I, I, I've been um, I've been watching a bunch of Bond movies in the last week or so leading up to this, mm-hmm. and something that I've I, I've tried to pick ones from kind of each era, and something that I've noticed is that I don't think I had an appreciation for when I first got into Bond, is that the Bond franchise is basically like a chameleon, like it it, it basically behaves like what the general movie market is doing at the time. Yeah. Bond isn't really like a thing that is one steady tone or one steady interpretation. Uh, And that's probably why it's lasted so long is that it kind of is just like, oh, this is a Bond movie that is flavored like Star Wars because Star Wars is popular. Or... Oh, I know, I know which one movie. you're thinking of there. <laughs> yeah, 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 it's pretty pretty easy to figure out. But yes, uh, that that movie Moonraker literally ends with him like flying through space, firing lasers at things to try and shoot them down, like sort of like the Death Star. Oh, and isn't um, it glorious? And uh, he he's even saying like uh, like stay on target and stuff. But anyway, uh, then. For example, License to Kill is like a lot like, I would say, like the RoboCop, like 80s version of like crime is taking over the world and whatnot. Mm. And then I would say that the Craig era, I mean, you you pointed out people like to call him Emo Bond. But I would almost say that Daniel Craig is more of like Jason Bourne Bond. A lot of people made Jason Bourne comparisons, yeah. And uh, especially when it was new, you know, with Casino Royale in 2006 and stuff. And all that and Batman Begins comparisons, there was a lot of that too. Yeah, and like it, it, I, I just picked a couple of movies that I've watched in, in the recently as like to, to use as examples there. But really, <laughs> if you watch any movie 
you can sort of figure out what was going on in the general movie market when that movie came out. Like a perfect example that I haven't even rewatched the movie recently, but Live and Let Die. If you have any knowledge of like movie market history, like black exploitation was huge in the early uh, 70s. Yeah, because it's like Live and Let the... Die is like a Bond black exploitation film. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Because that that was probably around the same time Shaft came out, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I think it's after. like a year later. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I never put that together. Yeah. So, like, Bond is just a chameleon franchise, which yeah. is really cool, but. I think that it's also a contributing factor to what you were pointing out earlier, that it's like, it has no identity. And right. Really like the identity that you associate with bond is probably whatever movies were coming out when you first got into the franchise, because that's what you've learned to associate with it. Yeah. But if you watch all like what is it 25 at this point movies officially 25 yes you're basically just watching a history of hollywood (laughs) (laughs) pretty much yeah which is pretty neat but it's also confusing because it's like where do you take bond from here that yeah and that's what i've been asking myself for the last month ever since no time to die came out is because i i'll admit i haven't seen the movie yet i just didn't get a chance to but i've absorbed all the spoilers from it by osmosis oh yeah of course yes (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and I guess we should definitely say there is going to be spoilers for No Time to Die in this conversation. Yeah, that so, one's pretty relevant to yeah. say, to point out. So yes. if, yeah. you, if you don't want any spoilers, because as we're recording this, No Time to Die has only been out for a month. Um, abandoned ship. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, yeah, where, where do they go from here? Like, it, it's um, so confusing now. I the, the issue, I mean, I think that in general, the market is really hard to to read right now i'm typically Mm -hmm. not a person who likes to talk about art in terms of the market but in this case it's very important too because bond is basically just a market chameleon Mm -hmm. um and what's kind of confusing is that uh, in our text conversations henry and i were trying to kind of predict where bond was going and uh you had made the comment that you think that maybe the next bond will be like a little bit more lighthearted or perhaps even like significantly more lighthearted. Yeah. And I think that I had said, looking at like the things that are popular right now, like, uh, like Dune just came out. The boys is kind of going on right now. Squid game is going on right now. Uh, or I don't know if it's really going on right now, but it's still in popularity is like, it's a lot of properties that are very like dark or like maybe like edgy or like, uh, I guess in the case of Squid Game, like a little bit like on like the shock theater sort of um, scale of things. Yeah. And personally, I don't see that changing for a while because I think that I think that a lot of that culture is sort of decided by external factors, like basically how people are feeling about the world. Yeah. Um, and I don't really see us transitioning into like peppy phone times anytime soon, personally. Uh, yeah. And then I think that we quickly discussed that it's like, it really depends on who they announce as the next Bond actor. Because too. we had, I, I put forward that it's like, if you, if they announce Dev Patel, I'm like, Dev Patel could do a really cool somewhere between like Moore and Brosnan yeah. sort of thing. Like I he could be him. a little fun, but he could also just be sort of like very charming. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, 
if they if they throw out like Cavill or Elba, it's like okay, this is just Craig Mark II, yeah. you know. Um, so it's really it's really tough to tell where it's going to go. Yeah. No, and to be fair, when I did say that to you the other day that I think the next incarnation is going to try to go back to like the Brosnan and more kind of fun tongue-in-cheek feel, I was going off of more what like those hardcore fans were saying on the subreddits and things like that. And to be fair, that's not necessarily reflective of what casual audiences want. And unfortunately, you know, for better or worse, these movies are a business first and foremost, and the people running the, these things are going to take into account what the bigger casual audiences are going to be wanting first and foremost, you know, rather than what, because they know like, you know, the diehards are going to go see these things no matter what anyways. So I would imagine that's what their thought process is at least. Yeah. You're probably onto something there. I, I would say that very rarely does like a hardcore fan base of something win out in the end. Yeah. Um, I think that actually like a rare example of that was the Mandalorian finale where like they oh, got God. super big fan service. And what's int- what's like ironic about that is that it seems like the end of Mando sort of like alienated the casual audience, which is always the risk that you take as, you know, viewing this all from a business perspective. That's yeah. the risk. That's the risk that you take by appealing to that sort of like hardcore. I, I guess you could just use the, the phrase like vocal minority with them. Is that yeah. you'll you'll get like the you'll you'll get the the positive Reddit you'll get the Reddit karma, but yeah. you won't get like the sales or maybe you will get the sales like immediately, but interest in the property going forward will be hit pretty significantly. I definitely think so as well because that does seem to be what a lot of the casuals are saying. Not not to make this about Star Wars, we we will get to Star Wars someday, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know how, but we're gonna get there. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh God, that's gonna be a massive can of worms to digest. I don't know how many episodes it's gonna take, but we'll, we'll yeah. figure it out. But yeah. yeah, I do I do remember like you know when people saw Luke Skywalker there in that finale, the initial like fan reaction was like whoa whoa. Like there was a bunch of YouTube reaction videos like that. But a lot more casual people, like my own mother, she was actually into Mandalorian season one. She, uh, I, I would define her as like a casual Star Wars fan at most. And she was into how it was like doing something new and stuff. And then when Luke showed up in season two, she was like, so what? Grogu's just gone now? What? Is he going to train with a little toothpick lightsaber? Why does he need to go train right now? You know, like it, it did really seem to not sit as well with people that do approach this from a more casual way. Because for those people, the fun part was Grogu. It was like Mando and Grogu hanging out. And I yes. understand, like, you, you can't always just stick to the same status quo with these things. You got to shake it up a little. But, like, they by having Luke come and swipe Grogu away, they were literally ripping away 50% of the reason why people were watching this shit in the first place. So, like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like, kind of like bringing it back, like using that analogy with Grogu and whatnot for Bond. It's like mm-hmm. a kind of a, it's kind of like a question of. I think that something that's sort of interesting playing into this is that uh, Ryan Johnson is making excellent use of Daniel Craig in the Knives Out films. Yes, he is, and I, and I think that a lot of people, Knives Out was very popular, very well received, mm-hmm. rightly so. It's a great movie. Yeah, I loved uh, it, and I think that it's. I think that there's a chance that 
there will be a little bit of like knives out osmosis into the Bond franchise where people will go like, hey, Daniel Craig is making fun movies now. Why can't Bond be like that? Like he left Bond because it's not fun. And maybe, just maybe, there will be a little bit of a cultural, like as in casual audiences will be like, can we put some more knives out in Bond? Like, can it be a little bit more tongue-in-cheek, upbeat, fun, peppy, quippy, da 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 you know? And there's a chance, if that is the direction that they want to take, that Bond will become... I hope they don't overshoot and land in more territory, but maybe like a more of like a Brosnan territory. I think Brosnan's a good sweet spot for that, yeah. Um... Yeah, but... The issue is that I don't know if that is the kind of business decisions. Like, I don't know if, like, the logic that I just laid out there, like, oh, look at how this actor is succeeding in another franchise that has a different tone. I don't know if that's the sort of logic that these executive producers use. Whereas having watched No Time to Die, I could definitely see them sort of taking in the direction of, like, okay, it is absolutely time to evolve like the bond character into it's like the first black blonde bond the first the black blonde the first, the, there, are <laughs> many, there are many blonde blacks uh, the first the first uh, the first uh, 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 woman bond Jane Bond or whatever you want to call her uh, I could I could see that being their priority and if they're focusing on um, more of like the aesthetics of what they want bond to look like rather than the tone then the tone could go anywhere yeah and I think a big risk is that if they do for instance Idris Elba first of all Idris Elba I don't know if he's like a big like comedic actor at all um, I know him from like mostly dour things same but uh, even beyond that, even if he said, like, I wouldn't mind a comedic Bond script or whatever, there's the risk of, like, you don't want to be the guy who casts, you know, your your uh, flagship Bond, your, your changing the social status quo Bond sort of thing, and then make him, like, a joke. Uh, because then you'll get a little bit of pushback for that. Yeah. Um, but I, I have no idea how they make these decisions. So I can it'll be really fascinating to see what actor they actually pop out on the, the back end of this stuff. Yeah. 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 Once they do announce the new actor, that's definitely going to be a big indicator of what tone they're trying to go for. For sure. Yeah. And I'm, I'm guessing they're going to personally, if, if you, if you ask me to like guess what the outcome is going to be, and maybe you can provide your guess too, after this mm-hmm. is, um, I'm going to guess that they are going to cast somebody and then follow up on making basically Daniel Craig Mark II as in like a a more dour bond, a more Mm -hmm. like realistic bond sort of thing. And then during that bond's tenure, the culture in the market will shift. Mm. Like the broader culture in the market will shift, I mean. Yeah. And so the last few of their movies will be people going like, uh, the rest of these movies are cheering up and are fun. Why are you so dour? And they'll be generally not well received as Bond because of that. That's my guess. I I hope that doesn't come true, but I have a feeling you might be onto something there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hope it doesn't come true either. I, I don't want to yeah. be right about these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I guess as far as my prediction goes, uh, this could just be wishful thinking on my part, but there is a part of me that still sort of thinks the opposite of where your head's at, that they are thinking a few steps ahead and are already trying to go for something more escapist again. Um, hmm. Okay. I, I don't know. Just because I feel like coming out of the pandemic now, people are, are sick and tired of feeling sad all the time and they want something to be happy about again. But uh, could be wrong about that. Again, could just be wishful thinking on my part and maybe just being too much on Reddit and paying too much about, you know, like what the diehards are asking for. Uh, yeah, but, that's a good question. I, I yeah. don't know. I, I admittedly, I didn't factor the pandemic into my answer. I'm, I'm more kind of in the mode of like, we're maybe out of the pandemic, but things are still fairly grim. Yeah. Um, and to I don't know. Fair, we're not, we're not even out of the pandemic yet. So <laughs> not that totally. is true. That yeah. is just because, there are fewer articles about coronavirus does not mean that we're out of the pandemic, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good point. I yeah. don't know. It's, I, I don't. These executives like think steps ahead though. <laughs> I think they yeah. kind of like, look at what's succeeding. What's right going now, on right now. Yeah. And which... then like do stuff off of that. Cause I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Dune is so dour. Like, and it's fairly popular right now. Yeah. That right now, at least that's what everyone's talking about. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And again, the actor they choose is a big indicator of these things, too, because like you mentioned, like, do they go for a minority or do they flip the gender? It seemed like they were trying to at least plant that seed with the Lashana Lynch character in this film. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And she did express interest of wanting to do more movies. She doesn't want to just be a one and done type of thing. But here's the tricky part is that in the end credits of this film, it says James Bond will return. I know it says that at the end of every film, but you would think this time around they would have changed it to say 007 would return. That way it leaves the possibility maybe they do continue with her. The fact that they specifically said James Bond seems to give me the impression that they really are heading for another hard reboot of some kind. Or maybe they mean James Bond will return eventually, but for now we're going to focus on this woman instead. I don't know, you know. Like, uh, oh, that would be that would be neat. To be perfectly honest, I mean, I'm sure that there are plenty of audiences out there who like hated uh, Nomi. I think is her character's name. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I I thought she was a, like a solid character. I mean, bear in mind that I was watching the movie with the mentality of like this is a one-off character, which totally changes how you digest the character. Like, yeah, you're, I would you're not you're not thinking about like how are they going to do in other, like, going forward? Like, where right. can this character go or whatever? Right. But with that said, uh, yeah, I thought I thought that uh, she was pretty good. And, uh, I mean, two things. It would be really cool if what you just said was true, where they did, like, James Bond will return, but not now. Right. Sort of thing. That would be neat. I'd like that. Or, um, just another suggestion, in case if somehow the the one person who ever listens to this is a studio executive. Uh, (laughs) You could do a series of movies that are more of like a, a double O duo movie where it's like, I would like that too. Bond working with like Bond. The new James Bond is a double O or whatever, of course, but then Nomi is also a double O and like the movies are very themed around them working together to, foil specter or whatever yeah i i would like the idea of uh ensemble movies like double o five six seven and eight all working together you know or even just duos or trios or something like that uh i guess if you do an ensemble it could be a little dangerous because uh 
it would make it too similar to something like Mission Impossible, probably. So yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't tread into ensemble waters personally. Yeah. Um, you would probably do like two double O's and then your Felix Lighter character. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. sort of third wheel on the double data or third wheel on the data. I meant to say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the fifth wheel on the double data would be would be, and that would be an right. ensemble. Yeah, but, pretty much. Yep. Yeah, I but guess no, I think that would be yeah. a cool a cool way to take it, but. Mm-hmm. I was going to say quickly, I think that I think that this would be a fun thing to discuss with Bond. This is this is something that I've been excited to discuss with Bond is since we were just talking about the actor of the future. I wanted to pose the question, who's your favorite actor of Bond thus far that you've watched? I know that you haven't watched all of the Bond movies, but yeah, um, it's actually Lazenby or Lazenby, however you say his name. Yeah, uh, I don't know really, how you say it. I think it's Lazenby, but it yeah. might be Lazenby. Yeah, I know yeah. he had a huge ego and he was always planning to just only do one movie because he thought he could use it as like a launch pad for a bigger acting career. Uh, <laughs> so it does kind of suck that he thought he was above Bond and just kind of in it for the wrong reasons. But when you factor all of that out of the equation, I really enjoyed his performance and I really enjoy that movie. I really like Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, I think that that is a very valid answer. Uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I watched it like a decade ago, and then I just rewatched it a few days ago, and it is like legit one of the best Bond movies out there. It, yeah, it is um, <laughs> kind of kind of relating to what we talked about at the very beginning of this. It's a movie that like doesn't struggle with its identity at all it kind of like nails every step of its identity. It knew what it wanted to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of that was influenced by Connery's departure, you know, knowing that they were going to have to do this with a different actor. Again, I know there's a book that was, you know, was one of them that back when they were still actually adapting things from Fleming's work, I don't know how closely related it is to uh, its original source material, but I do think they took some artistic liberties there. Like the whole intro sequence is, images and stuff from the connery films and i think that's because they wanted to try to drive home the point like hey this is still the same man that you've been seeing for the last five movies it's just a different actor and like trying to make the whole thing like a reflection of how far he had come until that point there's the sequence where like he's cleaning out his desk and he's like playing with some of the gadgets that were in some of the previous films like things like that you know i kind of like that sort of meta commentary on it or whatever you call it and I know that Lazenby, you know, is not really he wasn't a professionally trained actor and you could kind of see that in his performance. But I think that just somehow added to the charm. I don't know. It's hard to put into words exactly why it worked for me. But Well, and you've also in our, our text conversations, you expressed that or maybe it was even in our last phone conversation, uh, hmm. the the fictional episode zero zero of this podcast. Oh, the legendary uh, episode the, zero. The, the legendary episode zero. Yeah, we, we forgot to talk that. about that in our introduction, but to give some context to what Tom is talking about, uh, to test this uh, application that we're using to make these episodes, we did a uh, little private episode zero just for ourselves. It was about an hour long, and I have that locked in a vault somewhere, and it will <laughs> never see the light of day. It is the absolutely episode zero yeah the audio on that is actually really bad i i went back and listened to it again you sounded great on it but because i was walking around the whole time it picked up on that it picked up on like my footsteps and it created like a really staticky sound from my end oh that's pretty funny i did i i had no clue 
but yeah uh, i guess it might have sounded better as we were talking but then listening back to it i was like oh oh shit (laughs) (laughs) but yes in in uh i believe it was in episode fictional episode zero zero (laughs) that uh you had expressed that you kind of like all of the soft soft reboot movies the most yeah and i think that what you were just talking about may be like exactly why that is is that every time they do a soft reboot it's sort of like this breath of fresh air yeah like they bring in these new ideas and they have like it's sort of maybe like the moment in the creative process where they're allowed to look back at what they've done and go like, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. Right. Right. Like how can we do this better or just kind of different? Yeah. It definitely puts a new sense of energy to it. But yeah, I I do really enjoy uh, majesty secret service, golden eye living daylights uh, from what I've seen of it. I think, yeah, I saw it on TV like a decade ago, I think, but Mm -hmm. I do remember liking it when I saw it at least. Uh, and Casino Royale, you know, I, that one's definitely the most drastic reboot, but I do enjoy it for what it is, you know. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I think that I've sort of come to, I, I sort of like half agree with that sentiment. And like, then there's sort of the, you know, the exceptions to the rule. Um, I, I was just going to briefly say that I think Dalton is my favorite Bond. Um, mm mm-hmm. As similar to you, it's the guy who like did it the second least. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like the, for some reason, these guys who do it only once or twice are the best. But uh, I don't know. I've heard that like the Dalton Bonds were underrated, but now there's been like a resurgence of their popularity. Yeah, and, like I don't know now if they're like overrated or they're just rated properly. I uh, think they're bordering on overrated territory now, from what okay, I've observed. Gotcha. Yeah, um, I would say that. Dalton is like I, I said this to my brother when I was watching those movies. I was like, he kind of just like is Bond. I don't know. It's it's all the other Bonds that I watch. It's like okay, that's an actor doing their interpretation of Bond. Whereas uh-huh. when I watch Dalton, I'm like, oh no, that's like James Bond. Like they got James Bond for this movie. <laughs> well, like I said in the beginning of this recording, uh, from what I understand about the books and the original source material, like when I was reading a description of what book Bond is like, I was like, yep. that, that sounds like Dalton to me. So Yeah, and I think that Dalton was like a bit of a fan of the books and like read them before he took on the role and like said, it's like, I want to embody this ca- th- these elements of this character. And I think uh, it shows. I think he did a great job. Yeah, I think he was offered it once before, but he was like, he felt he was too young at the time to take it on. I, oh, I, interesting. Okay. Or maybe that was that. more. Yeah, it, it, the history is confusing, but I oh, might definitely. have been Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, just like briefly go through it, I was going to say, I think that I kind of agree with your analysis of the soft reboots being sort of the best. Like Casino Royale is definitely Craig's best movie. I don't, I think that I've sort of like softened my opinion on it. Like I'm not that big of a fan of it anymore, but mm. it's definitely his best. Um, maybe yeah. we can talk about Casino Royale later, a little later, but mm-hmm. GoldenEye is hands down Brosnan's, Brosnan's best. And I would oh, say that it's, it's, I would say that it's the best Bond movie. Um, Maybe um, maybe we can talk about that a little later, too. Um, I'm sort of... I think that License to Kill and Living Daylights are sort of, like, tied in my mind. Um, 
the problem, the only issue with Living Daylights is that it's much more of a Bond movie than License to Kill is. And by that, I mean, it like gets the tone of Bond, at least in my mind, right? But its villains are like really uncharismatic. Like they're kind of just like, they're almost like Roger Moore era villains. Like they're kind of like these goofballs who have no idea what they're doing. Yeah. Um, whereas License to Kill has a super charismatic villain. Um, uh, Franz Sanchez is amazing. Yeah. Uh, he's one of the best. Then I don't think Live and Let Die is Roger, Moore best, Roger Moore's best film, despite being the reboot one. Um, and maybe that's yeah. just because of modern sensibilities. Yeah, no, I, I kind of revisited that. It, it probably has my favorite song in the whole franchise. But Oh, uh, it's a great song. Yeah, yeah, amazing song. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess as a movie, it doesn't quite stand the test of time. Uh, maybe The Spy Who Loved Me would be I would. Best. I was about to say that The Spy Who Loved Me, I would say, is the definitive Roger Moore film. Yeah. Probably, if not that one, followed by For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, well, For Your Eyes Only was also kind of a breath of fresh air, considering that Moonraker really went off the deep end with, you know, hey, we got to do Star Wars, but in James Bond now, you know, we got to go to space. Because even though Moonraker was, again, a Fleming novel, in that novel, they don't go to space. There's no laser guns, (laughs) none of that shit. The the movie adaptation is just Moonraker in name only for the most part. They just realized, like, hey, we got to do a space Bond now. Hey, one of the books that we haven't adapted yet is called Moonraker. That sounds pretty sci-fi ish let's do that you know so yeah and uh pun bond pun intended here for your eyes only really like brings bond back down back to down earth. to earth i was just about to say that <laughs> yep. literally and figuratively <laughs> yes exactly yeah. but i i re- recently rewatched for years only and i really liked it i thought it was great i like the I always like the Bond movies where the the Bond woman has like a character. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And she's like on a vengeance quest in that. And she's like good with a crossbow. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just really quickly before we jump back to like another topic, maybe discuss one of these movies in depth or something like that. Sure. Uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service is unsurprisingly George Lazenby's best movie. It's also, I guess, technically his worst by definition. Yeah, but, I guess so. Yeah. Um, but I love that movie. I would say that it's the second best Bond movie. I've I've sort of been like ranking them in the back of my head. Nice. And then I don't think Dr. No is Sean Connery's best Bond movie, but Sean Connery is sort of unlike any of the others where he has this like golden era of Sean Connery, which is from Russia with love, Goldfinger and then Thunderball. You really can't go wrong with picking any of those movies as his best. I would personally say from Russia with love is, but uh, all three of those are great movies. Yeah, I think. Yeah, maybe that one. I like Thunderball, too. That's the one that has like the underwater shit, right? The only issue with (laughs) Thunderball is that uh, that was the one that was used as the template for Never Say Never Again, which was the unofficial movie that Connery agreed to do because he wanted to like basically find a way to give the original producers the middle finger. So he basically agreed to join this like really bad remake of Thunderball under a different name. And uh, that pretty much just like kind of taints my image of Thunderball now. Then again, I guess it makes Thunderball look all the more better by comparison if you want to look at it that way too. Yeah, I I haven't rewatched Thunderball very recently, but mm-hmm. uh, I remember it actually has like a surprisingly good underwater action sequence for being made in like 1965 or something. Yeah, um, it was 65. Yeah, and then uh, I think that the one thing that I don't generally like about it was that 
uh, 1960s acting is just so stiff and it is the, the villain largo i think his name is is just like not very interesting to me and not mm. particularly well acted and i think that a charismatic bond villain is like a really important step in all of these movies yeah there definitely is some truth to the saying your story is only as great as its villain not just for bond but for most things but uh and by villain you know that's a blanket term like i i guess i just mean conflict and usually the antagonist is the like human personification of that conflict but like if your story is a is a disaster story where it's like man versus nature versus weather then you know that rule doesn't apply but in most cases it does and bond is certainly one of the pinnacle examples of that because it is true what you're saying that the better villains usually tend to lead to the better movies not always but yeah i mean a perfect example is like i i think that the living daylights is great and i think that both villains in that are fairly weak right so So, there are exceptions to the rule yeah absolutely oh i mean on the contrary like golden eye is so great because alec trevelin right trevelin sean bean exactly uh uh 006 is the best bond villain like a double agent he's amazing um and like the tension between him and, and Bond is amazing. Yeah. And then Honor Majesty's Secret Service, that interpretation of Blofeld is so good. He's like Lex Luthor. He's so charismatic. Yeah, that's my favorite Blofeld by far. Yeah, like you, you, he's like an imposing force because normally Bond is like the most charismatic person in the room. But then this Blofeld is like really, really like a cult of personality sort of guy. Yeah, and I also like the you only live twice. Blofeld. The movie itself is boring as shit, uh, and and also has like that really <laughs> dated, racy kind of stuff going on there in the middle. But the, all the ending stuff, like the volcano layer and Bond coming face to face with Blofeld for the at least I think that was their first time meeting, right? Yeah, face to face. Yeah, I believe so. Face to face. Yeah, I know yeah. that they kind of teased Blofeld earlier on, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, oh my God, that diamonds are forever. Blofeld is so awkward because it's. I guess it's because it's just played by one of the actors who played a side character in You Only Live Twice, right? Yep, yep. Dude, that really took me out of it. it was, but uh, I mean, you know, I guess it's not really the actor's fault, just that it was a weird casting decision, you know. But so, actually, I'm, I'm. Well, one thing, I'm really curious. What, what would, what is your I'm kind of using favorite slash best here interchangeably, whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. art, art, art opinions are subjective, of course. So they're, you know, whatever. Yeah. But uh, w- what is your like favorite slash best Bond movie? Bond movie. Hmm. So I'm torn on this because I, I love Casino Royale. I, I, w- I think I was 12 years old when that movie came out. It blew me away. And I, I kind of like associate that movie with good memories because I know my dad is a big Bond fan in particular, and he was just itching for Bond to like get back down to a re- sense of grounded realism, especially after the atrocity that is Die Another Day. <laughs> <laughs> so I just really associate that movie with good memories, and it really does hold a special place in my heart. But at the same time, I was a little kid. I think it might have been 10. It was a little bit earlier. I saw Goldeneye on TV, and that also just blew me away for completely different reasons you know it's apples to oranges but i guess like yeah gun to my head if i really had to pick it's probably going to be between one of those two. Oh, interesting so so really you just like martin campbell yeah oh yeah that's right those are the two he directed there you go there's the the pattern right there yeah i, I and i do like a lot of his other films too uh he did the zorro stuff right he did yep. uh, uh what was it i know he did that really bad green lantern movie i'll give him i'll forgive him for that 
but he uh there's another one he did outside of bond that i really like but i can't put my finger on what it is now um i'm sure someone if someone's listening to this they know what i'm thinking of but and I'll probably look it up on Wikipedia right after this and know exactly what it was. But yeah, he just has like a sense of fun to his style of directing, even if it's yes. like in a serious tone like Casino Royale. There's still like the the island chase in the beginning or Madagascar, wherever they are. That's fun. Uh, the the airport sequence is fun. You know, even the card game itself is fun. You, you wouldn't think a, a poker game on screen would be exciting, but he just makes it exciting, you know, so. Yeah, he's he's very good at like specifically holding the kind of tension that bond is supposed to have yeah. like this sort of like weird mix between like fun mystery and like just like coolness yeah, yeah. i will say that majesty secret service would also be up there probably that's probably my top three right there and again it's all the like soft reboot hard reboot ones so yeah it does seem for the most part to be the introductionary movies for me tend to be the top ones yeah not only are they like my favorite interpretations of bond but they're just my favorite bond stories for one reason or another yeah i've um i think i said it earlier i've i've cooled a lot on casino royale particularly in the wake of watching the dalton bond movies because the unfortunate thing is that i think that casino royale before i watched the dalton ones i was like oh wow casino royale is like this really good move in making bond sort of this like gritty man mm-hmm. but when you see dalton i personally feel like it becomes a little bit more clear that like the craig era whether this is craig's fault or the director's fault or the screenwriter's fault or everybody's who knows mm-hmm. uh or if just the the desire to emulate jason Bourne or whatever but i feel like it really overshoots like it yeah there is an argument to be made that it swung the pendulum in the other uh, too much in the other direction because for instance we were talking earlier about the jump from moonraker to for your eyes only that you know that was also a fluctuation between silly and back to being a little more serious but it wasn't as jarring of a fluctuation and maybe the pendulum swing from die another day to casino royale was too big of a swing in the grand scheme of things because look at what it led to all the sequels to casino royale have been divisive for a reason you know what i mean yeah uh, honestly the thing that is the most upsetting about the craig era Mm -hmm. which oh man might be my least favorite era of bond i'm not sure um Mm. is uh, there is a severe lack of charismatic villains and it's it's not because they like picked bad actors these are all really good actors like matt Nicholson, yeah. um javier uh, bardem exactly Christoph waltz the freddie mercury kid yeah <laughs> the freddie mercury rami well, malik for anybody yes, who yes. just cringed uh, <laughs> but uh yeah all amazing actors i think it has more to do with not having a sense of identity on how to write these characters because yeah. like, they're supposed to like javier bardem's character is just like it's like oh well the joker was really cool so we're Look, making yeah. the Joker. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's okay, exactly what it was. Sure. <laughs> it was a combination of the Joker and trying to recreate Sean Bean's character from GoldenEye a little bit. Yes. And also, I can't even remember the name of the guy from Quantum of Solace. What is his name? Mr. Green, I think. Because Mr. White was working for him, but that was just a code name, I think. Or am I... uh, Dominic Green. Yeah, that's what his name is. 
Yeah. And I I guess he was a fine actor or whatever. I don't really remember that movie much at all. I but thought like, he sucked. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't remember. Again, like, I, yeah. I, I just don't like to, like, randomly insult these people, but maybe, I don't know. Well, I, I remember I just, not liking that movie. Yeah, I recently rewatched clips of Solace, so I, I, I tried to give him another chance. But you see, it's funny because my dad and I were also joking that, like, why is it that all these Bond villains are so overly theatrical and, like, they all have scars on their faces and stuff? But he was the one time where it was, like, a normal Bond villain and it didn't work. So I guess the villains kind of have to be a little bit theatrical. You know, I don't maybe know. a little. I mean, yeah, I think that there are some good ones out there that aren't. But uh, I don't know. This is the thing is like looking back at like the Bond era. It's like or like every Bond era. It's like Goldfinger is obviously a massively iconic guy. Yeah. Uh, villain. And yep. also he's not he's not scarred or anything. He's just tubby. Um, <laughs> yeah well he, but he, he dresses like in a certain way where it's theatrical i suppose you know yeah he dresses like a little bit like a robber baron i guess sort of thing yeah um then like uh obviously you know uh blofeld in you only live twice is absolutely hideous um, <laughs> uh and also theatrical with the cat and everything mm-hmm. um but like those are two really iconic guys the george lazenby blofeld is amazing uh jumping into roger moore it's like the one good thing about the man with the golden gun is Christopher Lee as Scaramanga. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, he's awesome. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe this is like dangerous for me to say, but like, I think that Moonraker is maybe a little unfairly mocked for considering that it's like the last 15 minutes of the movie or the actual bad part. Um, yeah i guess that's fair but to like say. Yeah. i think that hugo drax is really good in that in that like he's just so pretentious uh the actor played him very well he's like didn't you say that i look like him that's you the look one a little bit I... like hugo drax yeah uh <laughs> yeah i looked are, up are a pic you... i looked up a picture of him again and i was like yeah i see it <laughs> yeah are you planning on building like a space colony at all don't blow my cover, man. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. There's something great about like, he just has no patience for Roger Moore's bond at all, which is like a cool character to have, uh-huh. I guess. Um, like he has no interest in the bond puns or everything. Like, I think he literally rolls his eyes at a bond pun one time <laughs> and it's like, okay, that's just perfect. Um, the the guy in that sounds like something i would do actually (laughs) (laughs) yes the the guy in uh for your eyes only is like a very simple character is that christopher walken is that is Hmm? which one was christopher walken again uh no that's a view to a kill oh that was the really bad one the the one that killed roger moore's career oh shit okay yes (laughs) but christopher walken's really good as max zorin yeah um and then uh, Franz Sanchez and Dalton's License to Kill is outstanding. Uh, Sean Bean and Goldeneye is outstanding. And then, like, I don't know. It's like Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> Mads, uh, Mikkelsen's, what, like, Le Chiffre? Uh, mm-hmm. it, like, it's just, like, kind of, like, boring. I, I, like, I didn't really, like, he's, like, really into, like, getting the money or whatever, and it's, like, this is just kind of, like, bland. I, like, I guess his, I, I know it's, like, his life is on the line, like, and he ultimately gets killed or whatever. Yeah. It's, like, it's, like, okay, he cries blood when he's stressed. Okay, sure. Uh, he's, like, he's, like, so stoic, and, like, you, like, doesn't have a character? I, I don't know. Uh, the Quantum Solace guy is so forgettable. Skyfall is just discount Joker. Uh, 
sucks. Oh, and Christoph Waltz's Blofeld sucks. Christoph Waltz's Blofeld sucks. Spectre in general is just not very good. Yeah. And then honestly, I think that Rami Malek's guy, uh, Lucifer Sathene, <laughs> is... Not on the nose there at all. <laughs> no, not on the nose there at all. But, like, he might be the best of the Craig era, which is not saying much, because, like... That's funny that you say that, because I've been... Most of the people that have been saying negative things about the new movie have been pointing to that character saying that he sucked. <laughs> so... Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's like, the... I like Rami Malek as an actor, I guess. I don't know. But, like, it's it's like, there's none of these guys are that interesting. And that's the problem when you go with, like, a Jason Bourne tone. Is that, yeah, like, all of yeah. these guys have to be not grandiose. Yeah. No, I do definitely see what you're saying. Yeah. And even um, in Brosnan, uh, I like the Tomorrow Never Dies guy. Uh, the news guy? The news guy, I think his plot is hilarious. Like, yeah. he's going to cause catastrophes so that he can report on them first. I mean, fake that's hilarious. News. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's also aged very well in the era of fake news. Fake news, yeah. That's um, exactly what I was about I to think it's to. really cool how in The World Is Not Enough they did a female villain. Yeah. Um, and she, like, seduces Bond very easily, as a female villain would do. <laughs> and then, obviously, I have nothing good to say about Die Another Day. But... Yeah. Uh, even Bro- yeah, even Brosnan's like villains have like things to you them remember them. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. no, I know exactly what you're getting at. Yeah, uh, you know, fun side note: uh, Tomorrow Never Dies was originally supposed to be called Tomorrow Never Lies because of like you know the media lying to you. But when the screenwriter sat down at the typewriter to start writing the script, he accidentally typed "dies" and then just said, "All right, that works," and then they just stuck with it. Uh, oh, honestly. I would have preferred if they stuck with Tomorrow Never Lies. I think that's a much cooler title. But... I think that's a cooler title, and it's also, like, thematic. Like, right, it fits with the story better. It's all yeah. about, like, the truth and whatnot. And, like, right, right. Like, you know, reporting. I yeah, love the uh, villain's death scene in that movie where Brosnan goes, like, give the people what they want. <laughs> yeah, exactly, which is, yeah. I mean, it's hilarious with yeah. the, the drill. That's, a, that's an awesome Bond death. Yeah, I don't know. It's, like, uh, it's a... And you end up in this era and maybe maybe this is maybe I can turn on my cynical mode here um, and and abide by the title of our podcast, Um, (laughs) a cynical about things. Uh, Mm -hmm. Check it out. You're listening to it right now. But um, is like (sighs) we've discussed this pattern of things in the past where it's like everything is getting like technically superior, like everything's more well made now. Yeah. But I always feel like I come away from things nowadays feeling like something was missing. Yeah. And I think that the Craig era perfectly defines that. Craig Mm -hmm. is a great actor. Like an awesome actor. And I think that that's being validated with Knives Out now. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I would say that, like, uh, Leia Sadu. I don't know if that's how you pronounce her name. Sorry yes, if she's Sado. listening to this. She's not. Um, <laughs> the like, I think she's. I don't like her character, but I like her in the Same. things that I've seen. Yeah. Uh, she's she's a good actress. Um, I obviously Javier Bardem is a great actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Christoph Waltz is a great actor. Obviously, Rami yep. Malek is a great actor. Uh, obviously, Mads Mikkelsen is a great actor. Like mm-hmm. it's like they're bringing all these. Ava like, Green. Uh, Eva Jeffrey Green Wright. is amazing. Yeah. Um, the, who's the Money Penny? The Money Penny's great. The Q uh, is great. Naomi, Naomi Harris. Yes. Yeah, and Ben Whishaw's Q. Yeah, they're all great. Yeah. All of these people are great. Like these are all like 
on paper the best renditions of these characters in terms of like talent right but then i did come away from all of these movies with just this like feeling of like malaise of mm-hmm. like uh yeah i guess that was skyfall uh yeah, yeah that was factor uh yeah that was no time to die mm. uh, yeah it's like i don't know what's going on there but it it um it's whatever it is it's very uh, it's a very real sensation to me at least yeah i we talked about before how like uh the earlier bond films have like really bad editing like (laughs) terrible right like just awkward jump cuts and just you know like uh at least in doctor no the blood is obviously catch up you know like in the beginning when the woman's getting assassinated and stuff like that and like obviously these were things that were not meant to be campy they were done in earnest because especially with doctor no because it was the first one made so they probably didn't have that big of a budget to work with and things like that and i don't know maybe just something about that makes it feel more i I guess it doesn't make it feel more real that's not the right thing to say but more wholesome yeah i think wholesome is the word i'm looking for so like and, you know, I talked about, like, Lazenby's not a good actor, yet he's arguably my favorite Bond, you know. So I, there's yeah. just some kind of wholesomeness to it, I suppose. Yeah. I think it's, like, campy to say that, like, the beauty is in the flaws or whatever. But, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, it genuinely feels like that's the case to me. Like, I don't know I don't know what it is. Like, ob- objectively, I look at it and I just go, like, well, that's a problem or whatever. Yeah. But... I walk away from those movies feeling like much more fulfilled and like much more like entertained, I guess. And ultimately that should be like the point of these movies, I would say. Right. I I would say that the Bond franchise is largely like in the entertainment business, not like Uh the make you learn something or feel something business. Yeah. I definitely Um, abide by the philosophy that all stories are a combination of realism and escapism, but certain stories are meant to lean one way more than the other. And I think more often than not, not always, but more often than not, a franchise like Bond would benefit from leaning more to the escapist side of things. I think that's like very well said is that it's like, thank you. You shouldn't have all one way or another. Um, I think that when you get too escapist, you end up with, you know, die another day. You end up with die another day. You end up with Scaramanga's uh, like, like weird, you know, dwarf sidekick. Who's like a, complete like Mm -hmm. mockery of anything serious in that movie yeah uh it's like come on now but when you lean too far the other way you get the quantum of solace yeah yes and it's like oh this isn't like really what i was signing up for either way right Um, right and i don't know i guess that's like a little bit disappointing and looping all the way back to mm-hmm. the very initial question of are you cynical about Bond? It's like, for me, as long as we stay in this mode of filmmaking, which I think is going to stay around for a while, uh, I am pretty cynical about the future of the Bond franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I think that the lack of the Soviet Union just hurts this franchise so much yeah i guess what was cool about goldeneye was that they specifically addressed the fall of the soviet union but once that story was done you can't just do it again so uh 
I think there was that video game that came out in 2004 called Everything or Nothing that was supposed to be the fifth Brosnan film. And they actually used Brosnan's likeness for Bond in that. And Willem Dafoe was supposed to play the villain. So they used his likeness for the villain and he even agreed to do the voice. And I think that also like went back to the like post Cold War remains of the Soviet Union shit. Yeah, I've played that game and I love it. Uh, Oh, is it good? Oh, it's outstanding. If if um, if it had come out as a movie after like Die Another Day. Yeah, that would don't get me wrong. It's not better than Goldeneye or whatever. But I would say that it's better than Tomorrow Never Dies and The World Is Not Enough. So mm-hmm. it would have like it, it would have been like the plane is b- bailing out, like everybody it's going yeah. down, and then like it pulls up at the last moment. Yeah. Um. It's no, it's a really good movie. Uh, also, excellent choice of uh, of uh, Bond woman Heidi Klum. Uh, very. Oh, is that good, who that was? Okay. Very good choice. Um. But. Uh, and also a great plot. Sorry for any spoilers here, but uh, she was like, she ends up betraying Bond, which is like she ends up becoming the Bond villains Bond woman, which is oh, great. Nice, nice. Uh, so that's the like only thing cool I know about twist. is that it has the nanotech in it, which apparently they lifted for No Time to Die. So. Yes, No Time to Die is about nanotech. Yeah. Um, also, like, cool little, um, cool little like Easter egg in it is that like uh, in Everything or Nothing. Uh, Diablo, which is the the guy's name, which they also probably lifted Perfect. that. For, they also probably lifted that for Lucifer Safine. Probably like his name is Diablo, but anyway, yeah. uh, he was Max Zorin's like apprentice in the KGB, so it's like a reference back to um, uh, you know, Max Zorin from A View to a Kill. Yeah, uh, which is neat. Also, it leads to one of the best Bond puns, which is that. He referencing Max Zorn, he says, uh, we played bridge together. He lost because Max Zorn falls off a bridge. At the end oh, of wow. kill. <laughs> so that's a great bond fun. No, nice. I, that movie yeah. is, that, or that video game is great. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I brought that up to say, like, I guess you could still do things with the Soviet Union, but really, like, probably the best way to go is to actually do a period piece and, like, actually set the next incarnation in the 60s. So that Which, you can't... didn't you say that Tarantino said to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when they were developing Casino Royale, the 2006 version, they approached Tarantino at one point, and he wanted to... He wanted to do three things. He wanted it to be a hard R rating because he's Quentin Tarantino. He wanted it to be set in the 1960s, and he still wanted to use Brosnan as Bond, even though it would technically be a different incarnation. And uh, Eon Productions said no to all three of those things, and they never spoke to Tarantino again. <laughs> okay, so. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I think that Tarantino's a great director and everything. And then I think that some people, like, irrationally hate him or whatever. But mm-hmm. I would say this. That first suggestion is a great idea. Bond should almost always be, like, period piece stuff. Or I think that, um, I think that in our text conversation... I suggested doing like a Batman animated series thing where like the time period doesn't make any sense. Right. Where it's vague. It's yeah. like, it's like you can do like futuristic technology, but the Soviet union's still around or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. That you can do that with bond. Uh, that's, I think that's a great suggestion. Uh, hard R rating. No, Quentin, go away. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, you, yes. Go away. You can, you can shove your hard R up your ass. Or, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your hard R's. There you go. But anyway, <laughs> there uh, nice fun. And thank you. We're, we're on a bond topic here. So I'm, I'm in pun mode. There but, you go. Uh, 
using Brosnan, sure, I guess. I mean, he was getting kind of long in the tooth by the he end. Was, of yeah, he had just turned day. fifty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you don't want to end up with a Roger Moore situation. But mm-hmm. I think that I think that Brosnan was fine. Uh, I think that he was a competent Bond for sure. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I think. Oh, that, I think that I think that Brosnan like at the same time like is in the running for people's like least favorite yeah i was about to say i have a close friend who um is all i just found out he's also a big bond fan uh so i guess it was too late to get him on this episode but he's also a big comic book guy so if we ever do stuff like that maybe we could get him on one of those shows and then we could revisit bond a little bit in that but um he was saying that he prefers it when bond leans more serious even though he's been a fan his whole life the craig era is actually his favorite era now and the Brosnan era is his least favorite era, but she's giving a bad Roger Moore impression. Interesting. Oh, and Roger Moore is the second least favorite incarnation because both of those were the more sillier ones, Moore and Brosnan. Yeah, that's for the that's most interesting. part. Yeah. I would I would be interested to hear his like opinion on sort of like why he thinks Bond should lean that way because for me, it's like doesn't doesn't like Jason Bourne give you that? I don't really like. I feel like Mission Impossible and James Bond are not the exact same. Yeah. Whereas Daniel Craig era Bond and Jason Bourne are like basically the exact same. Yeah. And it's just redundant then. Yeah. He did leave behind a message that he wanted me to say, I think. He says, well, all I've got to say about Bond is that not every story is great, but sometimes it's not about the story. For Bond, it's more about a vibe and a style and overall feeling of cool. And you put cool in the quotes there. And in my humble opinion, yeah. it's okay to make a movie that is more about an aesthetic than a story. It's a visual medium, and what you're doing visually is more important than anything else. I guess that doesn't really justify why he likes Craig the most, but I do. I, I like his take there. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I think I see what he's going for uh, my only like my i think that my and i do agree that like in movies you're in a visual medium for a specific reason and you should right. lean into that right. Th- my only like counter argument would be it's like wh- why completely sacrifice the story for the sake of coolness is like a weird like there are bond movies yeah. in the past that have both so like why not basically always go for both yeah yeah. Well, I do agree with you on there that, like, it's always about striking a balance, if you can, if possible. Yeah, and also, oh, man, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of, like, cinema people, big, like, cinema people would be upset at me for saying this. But, like, I feel like we have sort of come to value, like, it's about an aesthetic way too much. Yeah, yeah. Um. I, I think that we were talking about this very briefly. I don't, <laughs> we're not, we're not going to get off track here, but I think that, uh, I think that we briefly talked about this with like Dune where like you've seen Dune. I haven't. Yeah. Um, and like, to me, I got really turned off by the trailers because like, it just looks so clean. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a, a Villeneuve is an amazing filmmaker in that mm-hmm. like he is so good at appealing to that like aesthetic sense that movies are to, to be fair about but yeah yeah uh i think that that sometimes like sabotages like sabotages the 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 rest of it maybe yeah 
no, I definitely see what you're saying. And also, like, just everything is about style over substance nowadays. It's like, yeah, it's sad. it's like everybody. Like, I always think of that scene in uh, in what is it? It's is it where like Bond jumps down onto like the back of a train and like adjusts his jacket, and it's pretty like pretty sure, yes, I'm pretty sure it's like Skyfall. Yeah, don't get me wrong, excellent scene amazing shot they put it in all the trailers it made yeah made people super excited to go see it because it's like holy uh-huh. crap that that's bond right there but there's yeah. also this moment where it's like yeah i i'm not like that big a fan of that movie so it's like too bad that they didn't use that awesome scene in something better like, i don't know it's mm. like it's weird how <sighs> i feel like everybody's just trying to make these like trailer moments and memes nowadays and it yeah sabotages a lot of stuff Yep. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, another thing is that, like, we talk about a lot how sometimes limitations are what make things better. And, like, back in the old days when, like, you know, the Bond movies were still getting going, they didn't even have, not even just a matter of uh, lack of money or resources. Like, a lot of those kinds of shots just weren't even possible. And I guess it's like a few moments where they did happen, where they were able to pull a shot like that off, uh, you really felt good. It's like a, you got hit with a sense of euphoria, whereas now we see those kinds of things in movies all the time. So it's like, it's too much of a good thing, really, is what it is, I think. Yeah, I think um, uh, I think that there's like a, like a Louis C.K. bit about like everything is amazing, but everybody's unhappy. Is To be mm. fair, I think that I'm sort of dangerously straying into those waters, is that like, maybe I should just take a moment to appreciate that filmmaking has come so far. Um, but I think that kind of like, uh, a counter a little bit to that is that it's kind of impossible to, for, at least for me to not get desensitized to it. Yeah. Where it's like, unfortunately, I almost just like expect everything to look amazing now a days. Yeah. And it's significantly less impressive when they're able to get shots that are really out there. Cause I'm all, I'm, I'm like, well, like <laughs> your average, like TV movie or whatever the equivalent is nowadays has like 400 times better cinematography than Dr. No. So it's like, <laughs> how, how hard was this really? I mean, like I told, yeah. I mentioned earlier that it's like, or no, I mentioned in the intro episode, that's like, I'm working on YouTube stuff. And it's like, I'm able to select certain settings on my camera and make it look like I'm filming a movie and I'm an idiot in like in a house in yeah. the middle of nowhere doing yeah that. no newer cameras and even newer phones have that built into them where like you could get like movie quality cinematography out of them it's, it's pretty wild yeah so broadly speaking i totally get what your friend is saying there and i actually mm. agree it's like the coolness is a major factor of what makes bond and i would say that it is missing from roger moore films quite a bit yeah. I don't know if it's missing from Brosnan films. I'm kind of surprised that Brosnan is his, is his least favorite because I feel like Brosnan has a little bit of that coolness to him. Um, but it's definitely there in spades, pun intended, mm-hmm. in Casino Royale <laughs> and other Craig movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it's funny because my tastes have also changed a lot just in the last couple of years alone, as you probably know, you know, from our conversations over the years and stuff. So, like, if we were having this conversation, like, a couple of years ago, I probably would be saying that Craig is my favorite Bond and that his movies are my favorite movies. But 
again, my tastes have changed a lot now. We're like, I can I like a little bit of cheese in my, in my movies. <laughs> so, you know, whether it's intentional or not, I, I kind of, I like that campiness nowadays. So I, I kind of have more fun with uh, some of the older stuff. Again, I, I'm still working my way back through all of it. I did rewatch Dr. No in full recently, and it, it is a bit of a slow burn early on, but I actually, in a, in a way, I also did like sort of the detectiveness factor of it in the first half. And the second half is a little anticlimactic too, but that sort of campiness to it all. And I know that all the older Bond movies are dated nowadays in the way they handle subjects like race and sexism and stuff like that. You know, there's no denying that factor. And that's a caveat that you're always going to have to accept when going into those movies. But if you could get past that stuff, there is definitely still some fun to be had there, but yeah, times certainly have changed. That's for sure. Yeah, and well, I'm doing to be entirely fair. I don't know if I don't know if the Craig year is entirely free. That's of true its too. Own yeah, that's true too. I didn't I think mean, of that, but yeah, that, they're, they're... the the woman in Skyfall is possibly one of the worst treated female characters in Bond. Yeah, and it's like that's the third most recent Bond. Movie. Yeah. Or what like about that's literally 2012? Yeah, yeah. And in Spectre, there's a weird, creepy scene between him and uh, that older lady. Is it Monica Belushi or who? I yes. forget. Yes. It's her, right? Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that was uncomfortable. That was uncomfortable. And then, like, uh, I, I think I mentioned this to you spoiler alert for No Time to Die is like, there's like an action sequence in No Time to Die where Bond's kid is there. Like bullets flying around with a five-year-old there, and it's oh. like, what are we, what are we doing here? Like, what, what? Yeah, I could see that being a little awkward. Yeah, it's when like, I heard about the kid thing, I thought it was just going to be like one scene or something. No, no, there's a sequence where like they're chasing, uh, uh good old Lucifer, uh, Freddie Mercury is chasing mm-hmm. is chasing James <laughs> Bond, and he and uh, Leah Sidhu's character and the kid are in the mm. car and there's like bullets you know like ricocheting off the car and stuff and it's like fun little family road trip there yeah and it's like it's one of these things where you you expect to see like a kid dragged into an action sequence in like a sean connery film and then the kid starts crying and sean connery like slaps them and it's like man up and it's like <laughs> no it's yeah literally I, I a movie saying. that came out this year yeah and daniel craig is in it and like people i in myself included went and saw this movie it's like i don't know if this like i don't know if this franchise is really that much socially more progressive now maybe i mean it's all relative of course but like, yeah it's it's got its own weird quirks in the craig era yeah well i think the kid the thing with the kid is supposedly they've been talking about this since casino royale that eventually the craig era would end with him dying and him having a kid so th- those discussions have apparently been in the table since on the table, excuse me, since 2006. And they almost did it with Spectre, but they chickened out of it at the last minute. And uh, but Spectre already had a lot of weird shit going on in it anyway. So and uh, but uh, I think what really made them decide to do it now was that Logan came out in between Spectre and this film. Logan being the Wolverine movie, uh, yes. Hugh Jackman's final performance is Wolverine. And all of this shit happens in Logan. He has a kid. They go on a road trip. They're shooting at the kid. Uh, you, you know, I, I actually in that one, it's not really his kid. It's like a clone, but like female young clone. But it's basically she calls him daddy by the end of the movie. You know, so it's meant to be like a spiritual successor type of thing. And 
you know, big surprise, he dies at the end of that shit. So uh, it sounds like, uh, and I think I had heard that Craig went and saw that movie and really liked it. So it sounds like they definitely used that as their primary inspiration. And I know that a lot of this also happens in Endgame with Iron Man and his kid and stuff like that. But yep. by that point, I'm pretty sure by the time Endgame came out, No Time Did I was already in production. It just got delayed so much because of the pandemic and stuff like that. So I don't think Endgame really had an influence on it. But and to be fair, in that movie, Tony Stark's kid isn't like part of the action scenes or anything. She's just kind of there in the background. So I guess it's a little different. But yeah, yeah. There's um, there's there's like cultural earworms that kind of kind of like come about where it's like yeah, Logan has a kid, a superhero, literally like superhero stuff, mm-hmm. um, involved in action sequences and whatnot. Yeah. Um, may send off for the original incarnation of that character yep then happens in endgame and then bond is basically a superhero happens in bond yeah i mean i don't really have a problem i i don't personally have a problem with like bond dying i think that that's like a pretty appropriate ending to the craig era of bond Mm -hmm. because it's like so somber um it just seems like a very appropriate way to send off that specific bond he's almost like a bond that you can't imagine living uh, like the out of the series so it's yeah like, kind of yeah. should die yeah um the kid was like a bit more of a weird choice uh i don't know i i i'm i'm still not entirely sure how i feel about that as a plot element but i do recognize that it's sort of inevitable when you get these like you know little like, cultural earworms going around yeah that people are going to you know, sort of like repeat themes throughout it. And as we were discussing earlier, right. like Bond is a cultural chameleon. So right, it's not really to, that surprising that yeah. it did that. Yeah, I was about to uh, bring that up again. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it makes sense. But it still just leaves the confusing question of like, where do they really go from here? Because I imagine what's going to happen is that if they decide to go with the hard reboot option, where they, they, they don't continue with Lashana Lynch, they do... they reset the continuity they cast a new actor to play james bond specifically not just 007 but james bond 007 like and let's say that happens in like i don't know four or five years from now i could see people like walking around going like hey are you gonna go see the new james bond movie and then somebody going didn't he die in the last one like it it won't register with them that you know because even though we do live in the land of reboots now i feel like people aren't expecting reboots like this fast, you know, cause you're, you know, that Eon's going to want to move fast on whatever the next cycle is because they had to wait six fucking years for this movie. They don't, I was going to say shit. it really doesn't help their case that they waited six years for this movie. Yeah. And like, it, even forgetting like the, the pandemic, but like they waited five years. Yeah. It's like, it's like um, it'll probably be an equal amount of distance between Spectre and No Time to Die as No Time to Die and the next Bond movie. So it's like, why'd they do that? Yeah. Because that that makes exactly the scenario that you just discussed, where people are like, wait, I thought that Craig stopped being Bond. It happened because, like, people are now conditioned that these Bond movies aren't sort of like a one to three year occurrence. It's like they're, like, twice a decade occurrence sort of right and it's like yeah that's that's gonna hurt your case pretty significantly i would say because the Um, only other time this also six years the gap between license to kill and golden eye but that was because there was a massive legal battle going on you know like that that was out of their control 
this was more I think it started because Spectre was designed in a way where it could work as the ending, but not necessarily because it's implied at the end of that movie that Bond retires and kind of rides off into the sunset. Um, and Daniel Craig said during the like uh, promotional run of that movie that he'd rather slash his wrist with glass than do Bond again. <laughs> that did not fucking help at all. Oh, so, Craig. Um, I imagine there was some disputes there for a couple of years. They probably, Ian was probably thinking, okay, do we just fuck this guy and, uh, just reboot this shit now or do we do try to squeeze one more out of him you know and then there was the director problem like they had started filming the movie with danny boyle and then two weeks into production he walked away then they had to put production on hold then they were talking to guys like nolan eventually carrie fukunaga i think his name is came on board Um, oh yes there was that whole mess then of course yeah there was the pandemic so yeah this movie was cursed dude it it was really cursed (laughs) Yeah, it like ended up in uh, production hell, man. Yeah. Oh no! I oh, think I think that, he um, also got injured at one. Daniel Craig himself like broke his leg or something in the middle. I of think film. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that. Uh, I think that Bond's just gonna have a really hard time going forward in general. Yeah. Uh, you know, they have a big choice on what tone they want to go for. Uh, not to not to inadvertently quote every trailer of the last 10 decades, but the world is uh, changing. And <laughs> uh, Bond might be sort of on his way out as No Time to Die sort of like teased itself. Um, but they did say at the end, James Bond will return. That's why well, it's yeah, but they, so fucking confusing. Well, but, but like, obviously these guys want to make more money off of this franchise, but I'm saying like, it might be at its like cultural. Oh, that end. like, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Like, I mean, like, are Zoomers watching Bond? I don't think so. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess technically I'm like close to being a Zoomer and I watch Bond. So I guess I'm being a hypocrite there. But yeah, like, but you're, you're like, uh, an, you're an old soul. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, like, you know. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm a, I don't have TikTok and stuff like that. So it's right, like, right, I right. think that that's, or, or, or TikTok Zoomers watching Bond. I don't know. <laughs> um, is that yeah. like tribe of Zoomers watching Bond? Mm. And like, uh, I just don't know. Like, I don't I don't know if the world is going to keep liking the sort of like dour but cool vibe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, that's like uh I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. I I I feel like we're at the precipice of a lot of changes for the movie industry and Bond was already in hot water because of so many things that we've discussed here. It's like People don't know what they want from the movies. The Soviet Union collapsed. Like, uh, it it's a cultural chameleon, but like also is trying to define itself in its own way. Uh, it it's it's gonna have a hard time going forward. I'm I'm guessing they're gonna do like a like an Idris Elba era, and I'm guessing that it will probably be like fairly short lived. But maybe. maybe well received, I would say. Mm, but then know. maybe by the end of it, it won't be well received because the culture will have changed. Right, right, right. But here's the thing: if they decide not to do a period piece and to continue to set it in modern day, do they actually bring in modern day politics? Or like, are they going to talk about Brexit and the pandemic and fake news and like, or on those things? Like, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a tricky thing that I do not envy any like screenwriters nowadays is that uh-huh. everybody is um so 
like uh political culture is so intertwined with like media culture oh yeah yeah that it's at any moment you can either like inadvertently been, be making an analogy to something and people will accuse you of like lining up on like some political line or something is like so important right now but by the time your movie comes out it won't be important so yeah. you'll be like you'll be like commenting on something that is completely irrelevant at this point yeah and it's like that's a that's a trick those are tricky waters to navigate uh, i mean like if you made a bond movie about or like even really revolving around brexit at this point people would be like what what did this script get written in in 2015 <laughs> in 2015 and get let on like left on the cutting room floor or whatever yeah i like, think it was 2016 when brexit yeah started. well I'm, i was gonna say like predicting brexit or whatever you know like, oh in that 2016. <laughs> but yeah it, yeah, it yeah. did happen in 2016 i believe but yeah. like uh you know where do you go with that i think yeah. that Maybe they'll call the movie Brexit. Brexit. Like how some of the Bond movies only have one word in the title. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Moonraker. Yeah, Spectre, Golden Eye, Spectre. Yeah, Skyfall, yeah. It's always <laughs> but, these funny like mashup words too. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point. Moonraker, Goldfinger, and yeah, yeah. Skyfall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, the issue too with like linking your thing to like a era or like political stuff is that like it doesn't age well. Yeah, it dates um, it. And, you know, I mean, I, I would say it's like you want to aim for timelessness as hard yeah. as that is to get, uh, I would say. But like, I would say that a, a fair bit of the Bond movies are sort of timeless, even though like I didn't grow up with the Soviet Union or whatever. Like, I, mm. I understand what the Soviet Union was. Yeah. So it's like it, easy it to understand. depends on the film. Yeah. But some yeah. of them. Yeah, sure. I would say some of them are. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I guess actually not from like a social standpoint. They're well, not that's timeless stuff, at yeah, all. Yeah, the... yeah. But like, uh, GoldenEye is a timeless movie. Well, that one they did, like I said, they did deal directly with the fall of the Soviet Union. You could tell it was a few years after 1991. Uh, but I guess that you know you could address that stuff at any point in time post 1991. Doesn't necessarily have to be a few years after. Because you also maybe, and for... I guess I guess yeah. more it's like you don't. At least for me, it's like I don't particularly care about it's like the Soviet Union. It's more just like I understand that it's like a world power has collapsed. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And they're dealing with the aftermath of that. Right, uh, right. Yeah. So I, I feel the, like it, it can be relatively timeless. Yeah, no, that's a good point. There's also you have to factor in the technology changing throughout all the movies, too, you know, because like uh die another day has like cds and shit like that which is dated now but like at the same time it also doesn't fit with the all the films that came before cds even existed you know so i don't know shit like that you know um but i guess that's not those are minor details that don't really affect the overall timelessness factor of the film really yeah i i would say that timelessness is like it becomes more important when you're like referencing a very specific thing. Like Brexit isn't a thing that comes along every now and then. Whereas like, I don't know, the, the world has like stability crises. crises. True, true, true. Like there have the been like Soviet leading Union. powers that have come and fallen. Yeah. So exactly. That's why the something with the Soviet Union could be like transparent where he's, yeah, you're right. Brexit is a very unique thing in time. And so is the pandemic, you know, like 
yeah. a pandemic usually only comes around once every hundred years. And uh, I mean, I, I sure fucking hope that the next pandemic is only in a hundred years from now. You know, we just, you know, we, we don't need another one coming anytime soon. So that's for sure. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Now, now I understand better what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, right. It's, I think it's easy to get caught up on like the, well, semantics, this yeah. specifically happened in 1989 or whatever, but it's, right, it's right. more of like the theme is timeless. Like the, right. the, the oh, air is timeless. You're right. Yeah. The fall of the Soviet Union was 89. I don't know why I kept saying 91. Uh, well, I mean, all Somewhere throughout in... 89, 90, and 91 was the fallout of that stuff. But right, yeah. right. 89 was Berlin Wall, and then I guess there was a couple years of aftermath there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't envy any of these people involved with this franchise. Personally, I, I don't know if this is like either the ultimate like optimistic take or the ultimate like cynical take, but I, I feel like Bond should just take a break for a very long time as a franchise. And yeah. Maybe if you want to make a spin-off series about um uh Nomi, that would be cool. Yeah. I get um but Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know what you're saying uh, take a break from the character of James Bond for a while, yeah. Well they all are they're they're also Anna de Armas is getting her own movie. It's not set in the Bond universe, it's set in the John Wick universe, but it's supposedly kind of inspired by her little scene that she had in No Time to Die. That's what I heard at least. So. Yeah, media is really fascinating nowadays. Like they will take anything that was well received, <laughs> yeah, and roll with it. I mean, don't yeah. get me wrong; I'm sure that that would be cool. But like, they're also it's like, aren't there like three or four different projects now going on in the John Wick universe? Yes, there are. X yep. outside of John Wick Four, like mm-hmm. it's like, geez. there's John Wick Four. There's her movie, which I there's a. Uh... Technically, that Bob Odenkirk movie that came out a few months ago, Nobody, I think they said that's also set in the John Wick universe. Uh, and then there's also a TV show that they're making that's like about that organization. I forget what it's called. Yeah, yeah I, I know what you're talking about. There's like a young Winston in it. And mm-hmm. it's got. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I think I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, th- that is a strange one. Is that it's like anything that is popular for even like a second right just becomes like everything right for a while i don't know it it just makes it i i have no idea how you keep up with all this stuff like it just makes it impossible (laughs) for me to keep up with it i like lose interest so fast yeah sometimes it gives me a headache i'm not gonna lie (laughs) like having to (laughs) keep track of all this shit but because, like, aren't they also going to do, like, a, a Dune TV show and stuff? Yeah, about the Benny Gesserit. Yeah, the, the space witches. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. it's like, man, is, is all this stuff, like, even profitable? I don't know. It's like, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's wild. Uh, but, again, like, going, all of these things that we're citing, like, uh, apply exactly to Bond. Is It's like, there isn't really... Not a lot of things like end as in like properties end anymore in that like, okay, Game of Thrones ended, but they're making House of the Dragon sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that's another reason. And we'll probably talk about this more as we delve into things like Star Wars and stuff is that I hate finales like things that try too hard to be like, oh, look, everybody, it's the big finale and it all ends here because. You just know it's not actually ending. Like, even Endgame, like, prided itself on being this massive finale. The last ten minutes of that movie are just a bunch of commercials for all the upcoming Marvel projects. Like, 
I don't know. Just it, things like that kind of bother me. But uh, no, I, I I agree with you. I mean, it, and Endgame is like a really silly. I, personally, I don't understand why people get caught up in the hype of that stuff. I'm sure that I sound like a a prig for or whatever for saying that, but it's like it's just so transparent to me. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Game of Thrones is a perfect example that tried to do like a big finale moment. But it's like you your guys are gonna keep milking this franchise. Like, come on now. Yeah. Uh, but like Bond is sort of put in that complicated situation where I think that the expectation now in the market is that like things <laughs> no one ever truly dies. Uh, nothing ever <laughs> ends. In that, as soon as like. Uh, as soon as Game of Thrones ends in a couple of years, House of the Dragon will come out or whatever. And like yeah. hardcore Game of Thrones fans will watch that or whatever. Yeah. Um, they even did it with, uh, with Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Yeah. It's like uh, Bond, unfortunately at the moment, unless if they do a spinoff with Nomi as 007, doesn't have a thing to hold it over in between James Bonds. And I think as you like pointed out earlier, rebooting something so quickly and like the announcing of a new bond i feel like is maybe a little bit of like a a cultural antiquity at this point um where it's like people are going to be like oh wait i thought daniel craig was done oh he is oh but this is a new bond movie but what like i think that there's maybe like a little bit of a risk there of like restarting the engine too soon yeah well we um, saw it happen to spider-man you know they rebooted that shit so fast twice the you know well to be fair i mean the marvel spider-men are well received even though i mean i don't particularly care for them but yeah uh so i mean like i don't know it's kind of like a weird thing maybe, maybe... well the andrew garfield ones crashed and burned for coming oh, too soon yeah true yeah and maybe maybe the tom holland ones succeeded because so many people ignored the garfield, the garfield ones, ones because yeah. they were they came out more bad right. but so like the reboot was actually longer in that case for yeah. them yeah but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's I feel like that's just such a difficult situation to deal with. Yeah. Um, well, this is why um, I'm more of a fan of like episodic storytelling. What I mean by that, not literally episodes. I, I guess the serialized storytelling. I don't know what you call it, but like I think serialized. I know what you. Yeah, I think serialized would be the word. Yeah. Right. Where like every sequel is just its own thing, and there's no big overarching narrative. There is no beginning or end. You could watch just the second installment of something or the second and the fifth or the first and the last or like watch them backwards watch them forwards it doesn't matter like I, i'm more of a fan of like that kind of style of storytelling which we i feel like we don't see enough of that these days yeah i think that um i think that everything including the daniel craig era of bond another reason why i think that the craig era is my least favorite everything is like trying to be this big thing right it's trying to be bigger than it is and biting off more than it could chew and we're seeing a lot of franchises crash and burn now because of that where he's like back in the day there was more of a wholesomeness to it all like the earlier bonds like you said the ones before the craig era were very serialized you know like very much of what i was trying to describe where he's the craig era itself is the complete opposite of that really yeah which is ultimately like why uh that that uh i i think that the comment that your friend made about like the coolness factor yeah i think that it goes beyond just the aesthetic because in terms of aesthetic i actually agree with him that the bond era, like daniel craig is a 
like a dripping in cool kind of bond. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty neat. So I, I think that I see him there. Definitely um, with his with his comment that it's like it's not always about the story. Well, I think though that coolness is also about how you execute the story and the franchise. And I mm-hmm. think that having these like serialized, detached stories where it's just like Bond does this and Bond does that and is cooler than trying to make this story of like, oh, he's moping about Vesper, then he finds this new woman, then he has a kid with her, then Spectre attacks him. It's like, yeah, yeah. It like having the kind of like guts maybe is maybe like being brave enough to just have it be like these are their own thing don't try to connect them maybe there will be some easter eggs that loosely connect them but that's it is like sort of the story being cool in its own right yeah i think all these franchises trying to do these big overarching narratives are them trying to be cool and it's backfiring on them it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's the classic high school thing of like trying too hard to be cool yes exactly yeah it feels very a lot of these things do feel very edgy in that high schooly kind of way you know like right exactly what you said like trying to be bigger than they are where they go like yeah uh well you won't want to miss the the stunning conclusion to the craig era of bond it's like why can't the end of the craig era of bond be the same as the beginning of the craig era of bond like yeah or just be another movie because that's all it really is at the end of the day like yeah like the fact that craig no longer wants to be bond doesn't really like matter that much yeah Uh, and that you're gonna get a new guy like okay maybe there will be a new flavor with a new person um but like yeah i don't know i I totally agree with you. These overarching stories, if you want to make an overarching story at all, it should be very loose, like ex- extraordinarily loose. Yeah, either um, that or like you write all the shit at once, like Lord of the Rings, you know, it's really all one big story, you know, like. Yeah, that. good old, uh, good old Tolkien. What a, what a guy. Yeah, good old Tolkien. Yeah. Uh, Tolkien, the, the actual master of, of the, the monomyth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he yeah, he was smart. He knew what he was doing, that guy. Yeah, no nobody quite got the monomyth like he did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Bond is just not a character that should have a massive character arc. Um, yeah. I and, I personally don't think so, yeah. Right. And and I think that uh, yeah, I think that things are kind of like tripping over themselves to be these like cool culturally relevant things. And I yeah. think that if they do continue with Nomi's character, it's like they're gonna do that again. They're gonna like try to make it very dramatic and like this. Character they would have to, them. yeah, yeah, be, yeah. Because if it's gonna be in the same continuity, they would have to abide by that same tone and everything. Yeah, and I even though I, I would like to see her around a little more, just for the sake of something different, you know. Oh right. uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, maybe, maybe, admittedly, that that it's like a ultimately a good thing where it's like they can use her character do that in the bond universe and then once she's once the actress is sort of like satisfied with that sort of part of her career they can kind of like conclude that storyline and then reboot bond in more of an episodic way yeah but i i would like that personally that would be the ideal scenario for me uh yeah i think that would be awesome yeah but we we will have to see where the wind blows in that regard, you know. 
do you have like do you have any of an indication of like what their timeline is for any of these things like how they've been they've been i actually was just reading a reddit thread about that the other day somebody asking like when will they announce the next bond and and right now eon has just been super quiet about this shit and to be fair right now is not the time to talk about these things anyway because they they don't want to take any attention away from the fact that craig's last film is still out there you know like oh so yeah i i have no idea yeah i mean next year is the 60th anniversary of uh of the movie franchise and and the 70th anniversary of the book franchise yeah so um for the anniversary yeah they might do something but i i i don't know that's just speculation on my part hmm yeah that's that's like all those things are like things that I have like no idea about. I wouldn't have known that it was like a seventieth anniversary. I doubt they'll do anything that soon. Yeah, um, pro- yeah, they're probably just gonna say like technically no time to die's release kind of counts as part of the anniversary because it right even though it came out in twenty twenty one and not twenty twenty two, it rides so close up against it. So you know, um, yeah, I'm guessing that whatever they do it will be like a bit of like a cultural event because last time they announced a new bond, uh, like none of this like social media whatnot was around. Like it was the beginning of the Facebook era was yeah, 2006 yeah. or 2005. 2005. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When they announced Craig. Yeah. You can find a video of it, of, of him, you know, like walking uh, to the press conference where they announced him and stuff. It's really awkward to watch actually, because he, he had like longer unkempt hair and he definitely didn't have like a lot of PR training yet because he had he had his hands in his pockets the whole time and he was like slouching and staring down. You could tell like he hadn't really developed a lot of like confidence in himself yet. And I think it's because he knew like people were going to criticize him, you know, because they remember there was all that like, uh, you know, what the hell uh, Bond is blonde now and has blue eyes <laughs> like there, there was a lot of that shit going on. So, oh, yeah, I guess they he always was like dark hair and dark eyed. Yeah, and that's how he's described in Fleming's work, too. So, uh, but I mean, like, who fucking cares? But whatever. It was 2005. But, um, yeah. Yeah. But, so, um, I think that yeah. the next announcement of a bond is going to be like a shit show because think about what happened with the Jeopardy host thing. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. like, it was Jeopardy, right? Yeah, it was like, that. Yeah. It was like this massive drama of just like, why isn't it this person? Why is yeah. it that person? Blah, 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 blah. It's going to be that. Yeah. Like, I yeah. maybe I doubt it will be as ridiculous as like they'll announce somebody for Bond and then that person will have to step down or whatever. But I feel like it's going to be like the classic Twitter will have opinions sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think that that's a sort of a reason that uh, uh, um, as as I've been rewatching Bond, I sort of I guess as we're getting into the the towards the end of this because there's like 22 minutes max left yeah yeah um i was gonna say i think that as i've rewatched a lot of bond movies i've sort of discovered that i'm not as big of a bond fan as i thought i was mm. uh a lot of the movies just like aren't that good um, yeah and you know there's like a whole era that's like the roger moore era where uh i don't i think that they like whoever was in charge there like had a weird obsession with like circuses and whatnot and like goofy mm-hmm. things like circuses appear in like three or four of the movies. Yeah. He dressed up as a clown in one of them. I yeah. yeah. And then like, yeah, it's like, um, I think that, you know, I think that maybe bond is sort of a franchise that 
should be left behind. Um, I, I don't know. I think that there's this weird... It's happening right now with, like, Foundation and Dune or whatever. I think that the world sort of, like, evolves away from these things for a reason. Yeah. And I think that it's weird to sort of, like, culturally dredge up this stuff constantly. Yeah. Um, and, I don't know, I guess that that's... My, my simultaneously optimistic and cynical take is that I really like the wide variety of Bond that has been left behind Mm -hmm. but to me i think that it's sort of the franchise seems to be like struggling downwards i would say yeah and that my my cynical i guess take would be that it's like maybe just shouldn't continue it maybe most of these things most of these things live long past the point where they should still be alive if we had to be completely honest nonsense henry star wars is still just as fresh as it was in 1977 uh we're gonna like i said we're gonna get there we will get there (laughs) i need to like do mental exercises to prepare for that conversation yeah and it's probably gonna be multiple conversations at this point yeah yeah Yeah. i don't know do do we go one movie per show for that one or oh i don't i don't know if we need that maybe like one trilogy per episode yeah i think i like that balance yeah but yeah i guess um well actually i think this is like a a good thing to bring up too like in case somebody in our non-existent audience is curious (laughs) uh recently uh, both Henry and I re-watched a bunch of the Star Wars movies as big Star Wars fans. And mm-hmm. I think that both of us sort of came away from those experiences going like, we're not nearly as big of Star Wars fans as we like thought we were. Yeah. A lot of the movies are like kind of just bad in a way. Yeah. Um, Across all three trilogies. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And... I think that, and and there are high points in every in in yes. these movies. There are high yeah, points yeah. everywhere, sort of. Yeah. Thing. But broadly speaking, it's like it's hard to call yourself. I think that it's hard to use the like currently prevalent definition of fan, at least on the internet, when you're right. so critical of something because fan basically means being like a a diehard. Right. Um, like there are no flaws with this. We've discussed this with like Back to the Future and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I think that I, I sort of, as I'm watching more and more Bond movies, um, I think I've like watched like 11 in the past month or so. Oh, nice. Is, I think I'm having sort of the same reaction to this, is that I'm, I'm finding little bits and pieces in every movie that are like, oh, I enjoy that little thing, or like, oh, I never realized that was a trope in Bond, but it's really funny or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then there are periodically ones where I rewatch them, like on Her Majesty's Secret Service, where it's like, oh wow, that's even better than I thought it was, and that's just outright like a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I'm sort of like exiting the stage of like it doesn't really feel very rational for me to call myself a fan of Bond when I don't like so much of it. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying. I'm personally not there with Bond yet because I haven't been rewatching the Bond movies as much as you have. I've only had the chance to rewatch a couple of them in the last few weeks since we started talking about doing this podcast and everything like that. But um, uh, I might get there. Yeah, I don't know. You know. 
Yeah, I think that you did your little like Star Wars rewatch of like six months, eight months after I did something like that. Yeah. So there was like a bit of a phase where like I think that you were uh, talking about like Star Wars a lot, and I was sort of in this mode where I was like, "Oh yeah, I guess I've sort of like come to peace with Star Star Wars." And then you did your rewatch, and you like kind of end up in the same place, maybe or like a similar place. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's. But Bond is just, I don't think it's a 21st century property. Uh, I think that, I think the the sad thing is that because of like the dominance of the MCU, I should, we should get Denis Villeneuve on this because he would love to complain about the MCU (laughs) Um, and Martin Scorsese. We should should get those guys on there. Those are, those are people who are easy to get two hours of their time. (laughs) Uh, But uh, I think that, due to like the prevalence of like the mcu which to be fair the mcu is really just adapting things from like the 80s and 90s and uh early 2000s i guess yeah um i think that we haven't really gotten to a point that is like what a proper 21st century story is because all we keep doing is nostalgia yeah yeah and like not even just reboots, but like adaptations of things that yeah. are 20th century stories right. and whatnot. Right. And what's really strange is uh, sci-fi always used to be at the forefront of storytelling sort of thing, because like its entire job was to predict the future or yeah. like give a vision of the future. Yeah. Now we just want to look at the past. Yeah. And something that's like super strange about I've have friends, yourself included, who have watched Dune mm-hmm. and it's like it's weird to hear all these opinions about Dune because I'm like, that is the exact opposite of what sci-fi is supposed to be. Like, it's like, we're looking back at Dune, not, not looking forward. And that's not to say that Dune is like something bad. I think that Dune is fine um, Mm -hmm. as like a novel. I'm sure Mm -hmm. it seems like the movie is pretty good, but I don't know. I, I feel like we're not really, allowing ourselves to make things that are the 21st century yeah i i definitely agree that we're still romanticizing the 20th century a little too much to be fair though um and we're not giving the 21st century enough of its own identity but to be fair the 21st century is only 21 years old right now barely 22 years old so like we're kind of only just starting to get towards the midpoint of it you know I, I, we still have 70 years to go in this century. So like, uh, we'll, we'll see where things go, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah. And which I think is a fair point. I mean, this more has to do with like a technological yeah. aspect, 80 years, 80 years, actually. Never mind, but uh, go ahead. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People, people, you know, all, all negative two people who are going to watch this. We're like, Oh, he said 70, <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, the, I, I think that is a fair point because, you could say that this is more of a technological thing, but it's really like post World War II when the 20th century started to get its identity. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, they do say World War One and World War Two, kind of both of them together, but mostly the first one were like the big turning points between like what they call the old world and the new world. Exactly. So I think you're on to something, and that maybe the pandemic will be a bit of like a turning point in all of this. Know. Yeah. But. I guess that's ultimately what I'm trying to say is that it feels like 
maybe this isn't really a fault of like Hollywood executives or whatnot for nostalgizing the past or whatever. But more what I'm saying is that I feel like it going forward, it's just going to become harder and harder to to roll the nostalgia for the 20th century boulder up the hill because I think that people are going to start trying to like itch for new things. Yeah. I I think that fatigue is really settling in with a lot of people now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, maybe in a way like the, the superhero was born in the 20th century. So maybe in a way you could view the MCU as almost this like parade of 20th century culture. Yeah. And that end game is maybe sort of like a, a kiss goodbye to that. And now we're really in the era where we're like trying to force it to be popular still. And it's yeah, and maybe just not going to be is like the nail in the coffin for that. <laughs> well, we'll see with No Way Home. I mean, I think that No oh, Way yeah. Home will be popular. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, but I think that um, I think that Bond is a very good example of that. I don't see Bond. I don't see there being a Bond movie in 2040, personally. Yeah, I I don't either. But then again, stranger things have happened. So who knows? But I guess, yeah. I mean, I'll say this. I'll be disappointed if there's a Bond movie in 2040. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some things really do just need to say goodbye after a while. I Say goodbye for real, not say goodbye and then we're going to reboot again in five years or, you know. Well, and it's just so strange how it's like, Bond has all of these inspirations, but like, we're it feels like we're not allowing the thing to come around that is inspired by Bond. Like, I guess Kingsman was a little bit of that. Kingsman tried, um, but like, I don't know. Maybe maybe Kingsman like Kingsman Kingsman was like popular, but for some reason, I feel like uh, I feel like the i don't know this is just my perception it seemed like the first movie was better received than the second movie it was it was yeah the second movie got bad reviews but it wasn't always it wasn't also just that i do think that kingsman tried a little too hard to copy like the roger moore aesthetic of bond because yes even though the first movie was well received there was that one controversial scene towards the end where do you know about this at all? yeah or? with like the the swedish woman right that yeah. scene where like I feel like if that scene had existed in one of the Roger Moore films in the 70s, it would have it probably would have like not even been addressed all that much by people, you know, like people have just been like, oh, whatever about it, you know. But um, because it was in a new intellectual property that came out in the year 2014, it stung a little harder. You know what I'm trying to say? And like, absolutely, I, I think that's something where like Kingsman it was good that first one, but it wasn't self-aware enough. It was missing that little bit of extra like self-awareness for like addressing things like that, you know? And I think that kind of backfired on them in the long run. But Yeah. Uh, right. Like I think that Kingsman maybe didn't do enough to differentiate itself in that, what you just said, it was like trying too hard to emulate a specific era of bond without asking itself like, Hey, are, are there going to be consequences for emulating that era now in this day and age? <laughs> you know? Yes. Without Whereas, the protection of a classic property to, you know, like, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Whereas, whereas I guess like what I'm saying is that like, it's like, I'm I'm hoping that in the next 10 years we see things whether they end up being the the thing or not I hope we see things trying to be like inspired by bond but very 21st century I guess is what I mean 
Yeah, one would hope. It's also just the whole spy espionage genre is hard to imagine in like this social media type world. I don't know. But... Yeah, social media is uh, not not to be angry boomer yells at cloud <laughs> thing, but social media does like kind of screw a lot of things up. I, don't, yeah, I guess yeah. I don't know, but uh, which is just kind of like sad because like a lot of people like it and whatnot. Um, yeah, yeah, but I it feel works like maybe, for some people. Yeah, maybe the movie in general is kind of dying. I, I don't know. I, I that's yeah, hard. that's a really hard sell to me. I mean, movies are still very popular, but um, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know what the movie world is going to look like post pandemic. To be honest with you, um, yeah, I mean, I think it'll probably be pretty okay for a while. I, I don't know. I guess like I'm wondering where. Even like Game of Thrones is from the '90s. I'm, I was gonna say like I'm wondering where yeah, it's like, true. Yeah. where are our uh, Herbert Franks and Arthur C. Clarks? Yeah, and uh, uh, George you know, Lucas's George Lucas's. Um, who's that? Who's that woman who who wrote uh, the Patternists? Uh, Octavia Butler. Where's our Octavia Butlers? Like she was a great sci-fi writer too. It's mm. like like where where are where are those people i yeah. guess sort of shouldn't they be making stuff by now i don't know well uh, there's well, plenty of people Johnson's trying it's just going unnoticed you know but i, I would say ryan johnson is actually up there yeah uh, no, i feel no, like but... he's very fresh and and yeah. brings a 21st century feel to everything he does i agree yeah he's great yeah uh I know we're running out of time here, but one point I did want to make, this might be a better discussion for the comic book stuff if we ever get around to that, but okay. another big factor of how long these franchises last is when they end up going into the public domain or not, because once they do, it's over. But um, the problem is Disney keeps changing the rules there, because like Mickey Mouse was supposed to go public domain like 10 years ago, but they keep somehow fucking with the legislation of that so that like they get to keep the rights to the character. Among other things that Disney owns. I'm saying Disney specifically because a lot of the shit they own is shit that's like a hundred years old now. But like eventually Bond is going to get there too. Star Wars is going to get there too. That's going to be the real tech. Because like they do try to make movies about public domain characters. But nowadays they always bomb. Like nobody gives a shit about like whatever the most recent Robin Hood movie was. Or the most recent King Arthur movie. Nobody cares. So like. There, there was like a point where people cared about Sherlock Holmes a little bit, but then that died on the vine too. So, I, I don't yeah. Know. yeah, that's a that's a big indicator too. I think. Yeah, I hope it doesn't take that long because, well, one, as you just pointed out, corporations are getting more ruthless with that stuff. Where it's like, mm-hmm. if they see money tied to something, they're they'll not hold going, on to it tighter. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to let the law get in the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Petty, petty laws trying to do things, <laughs> um, but then also. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm also like, am I going to be 50 years old when we're actually seeing new things? Like that's super depressing to me. Yeah, personally. yeah. But but also uh, to to break out of cynical mode for a moment, uh, this is why Henry and I make our own things. Like yeah. we like making our own things because they entertain us. Like we're not yeah. waiting for some like savior on a white horse to ride up and be like, here is the new property. Like we're, yeah. we're doing our own things because we've realized that it's like, that's the most reliable way to get something that you want. Yeah. So. Right. The change that you want to see. It's true. Yes. 
exactly so so that's that's a quick optimistic note in the wake of all this you know pessimism of us saying like (laughs) mega corporations rule the media yes exactly yeah no i'm glad you brought that up that is very true as well yep ever since i started writing my own stuff it's been helping me a lot with that you know not giving too much of a shit about what's going on in hollywood right now and things like that yeah, I actually think that that's a big component of why I ended up more at peace with like Star Wars and Bond upon these reviews is that it's like I'm able to notice the things that I like and that I want to emulate or whatever. And right. other than that, I'm like, I don't really care that it's like, oh, OK, they, they, they have these weaknesses. They have these strengths. That's their thing. OK, right, right. So, yeah. All right. Well. I would love to keep talking. Like I said, when we do the comic book stuff, we could do more about the public domain situation because characters like Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman are all supposed to go into the public domain sometime in the next 10 years. But assuming Warner Brothers allows that to happen, or I guess it's the Discovery Channel now that owns all those characters, which I never thought I would say, but (laughs) here we are. The Discovery Channel owns Batman. Yeah. Put that into perspective. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, we are com- we're down to the last four minutes here before our timer runs out. Uh, is there anything else that you want to add about James Bond or anything else in particular? No, no, I, I don't think I don't think there's anything about uh, James Bond that I want to say. I was just going to say, you know, upcoming, we'll probably talk about uh, superheroes, movies, you know, that dying genre, hopefully. Um <laughs> Uh, and you know, probably do a little bit of a recap of like our opinions on Star Wars, whatever we feel like, I guess. Um, yep. and yeah, but I, I think that I think that uh, I think that I hopefully communicated my weird mix of optimism and cynicism for Bond. I, I definitely think so, yeah, yeah, and I, I think I got a good perception of where where you're at as well, so yeah, all right, well. Great conversation. Thank you very much, Tom, as always, for taking the time. Of course. Here's to many more of these, and uh, we will catch you all on the next one, whenever that will be. All all negative two of you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Henry. Yeah, thank you. Okay, take care. See you.